As Jenna mentioned, my name is Nina Shoman Dejani. I'm the Assistant Dean of Learning Enrichment and College Readiness. Thank you all for joining us today. We are very excited about this panel discussion. I want to first thank the Arab Student Union for hosting such a discussion on our campus. I also want to thank our library. Um, as many of you know that have been at Moraine Valley at least for a semester, our library holds events pretty much every week, usually multiple times a week on various um, topics and is very inclusive in their um, selection of what they host in the library. Arab Student Union has been welcomed to the library many, many times for panel discussions, for speakers, and different types of events. And without the help of our friend Troy Swanson, who's back here um, working on our sound and uh, PowerPoint presentation for the recording, um, this wouldn't be possible. So I want to first thank Troy. I also want to thank uh, the, the dean of the library, Tara Jacobson, and all of the staff here for always welcoming us. We have several um, classes that are here with us today. Come on in, join us. Um, Instructor Yolanda Bennett just walked in with her class. Thank you for bringing your class. Joyce Jones, where's Joyce? Joyce. Joyce Jones, um, one of my favorite instructors on campus who's been teaching ESL for 25 years at Moraine Valley, 26 years, sorry, <laughs> 26 years now, um, is always very supportive of the different events we have on campus and likes to bring her students. And of course, I also want to thank um, Professor Furlow, Michelle Furlow, um, who has her criminal justice class. Yeah, your students, give her a, hand of, a, a round of applause. Um, who teaches criminal justice here on campus, full-time faculty member, former law enforcement officer herself. Um, so I'm sure she will very much appreciate the panel today. Thank you for bringing your students. And then we also have a College 101 class, Miss um, De La Paz Kane, who also brought her students. So thank you for joining us. We have a very accomplished um, panel uh, today. Many of our panelists have worked in law and law enforcement for many years. And so I'm gonna start off by introducing the panelists and each one of their resumes and bios are very very long and lots of um, great accomplishments um, prestigious awards um, and honors that they have received and due to time I won't be able to go through it all so I have an abbreviated version um, of everyone's um, bios today so I want to ask the panelists first of all to forgive me for not being completely um, I'll just say uh, completely, uh, I don't know, whole in my de descriptions of both of all of you guys, but you've done so much, um, it was hard to figure out what to keep in the, your introduction and what to take out because everything just sounded so amazing. First, I would like to um, welcome with us today the Honorable Judge Colleen Highland. Colleen Highland um, currently is with the 5th Municipal District Cook County Circuit Court. She earned her Bachelor's of Science degree in Business Administration from John Carroll University. She also participated in a summer program at the London Law Center of Notre Dame University in 1984 and went on to receive her JD from DePaul University in 1986. She was an associate, she's been an associate judge since 2001 and currently presides over misdemeanor court and felony trial cases. Now again, this was one of those introductions that was very hard to abbreviate because you have accomplished so much, um, but these are a few things that I would just like to highlight today. Um, some of her past judicial experiences include um, traffic court from 2001 to 2002, central bond court, and preliminary hearing court. 
Um, she was also the wing supervisor for the felony trial division from 1996 to 2001, previous supervisor of the public integrity unit, and a state's attorney, assistant state's attorney from 1986 to 1994. In addition, she has also taught in several different institutions um, throughout the last couple of decades, including at the DePaul College of Law, the Illinois Appellate Prosecutor's Office, and the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, has conducted several seminars from 94 to 2001, and has taught at the Illinois Acad Academy of Criminology. Now again, very, very um, much uh, well accomplished. It was very hard to minimize everything that you've done. I wanna go ahead and introduce now Mr. Jerome Burrito. Um, he's a public defender at the Felony Trial Division. He earned his Bachelor of Science degree in biology from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Yes, you can become a lawyer with a bio degree. <laughs> That's the first lesson today. From 95 to 96, he worked as a victim witness coordinator with the Cook County State's Attorney's Office and earned his law degree from DePaul University in 1999. He was honored with the CALI Excellence for the Future Award in International Prosecution of Human Rights. And after law school, he worked for the law office of the Cook County Public Defender. As an assistant public defender, He's tried over 250 cases, including the most serious felonies in a high volume setting. He's authored a practitioner's manual on pretrial motions for leading continuing legal educational programming. He's also lectured on trial technique in Illinois and Wisconsin, is trained in all aspects of forensic science, including DNA, fingerprints, and drug identification cases and has committed himself to representing children in the nation's first juvenile court. He is currently a candidate for judge of the Circuit Court of Cook County. Now I'd like to welcome uh, Ms. Nahida Zayad, and I wanna give a special welcome to you today because you coordinated this event with us and helped us um, gather our panelists today, so thank you in advance for that. Nahida received her Juris Doctorate deg Doctor degree from John Marshall Law School. She graduated with her dual associate's degree from Marine Valley at the same time earning a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Governor State University. Yay, alumni. <laughs> During law school, she was a judicial clerk for Judge Alexander White and Rita Novak in the civil division of the Daily Center. She then went on to clerk for the Attorney General's Office in the Criminal Prosecution Division. Since attaining her license to practice law in 2006, she has worked with the state attorney's uh, office as a prosecutor in appeals, traffic, and misdemeanor and felony prosecutions. And she's currently a prosecutor in the felony trial division at the Bridgeview Courthouse. Again, as I mentioned before, many, many accomplishments. This is just a snapshot. I would now like to welcome Ms. Kathleen Lanahan, assistant state's attorney also from the felony trial division. Ms. Lanahan earned her uh, law degree in 1993 from John Marshall Law School and received her bachelor's of, um, bachelor's of Arts degree in Political Science from University of Chicago. She's an assistant state's attorney currently since 1994 and works in the Felony Trial Division. She is the current first chair, which is the lead attorney in the felony courtroom. As you can see here, um, many, many accomplishments, actually it would help if I forwarded that. Um, she has res is responsible for 
has been responsible for over 300 plus cases, tried hundreds of felony bench trials, um, including several first degree murder cases. Presented and cross-examined expert witnesses in areas of child abuse, mental health, forensic pathology, drug chemistry, trace evidence, which is gunshot residue, and medicine. She's worked in felony trial division courtrooms in Maywood, Bridgeview, and at the 26th and California Courthouse. Has supervised and mentored attorneys, and expe has experience at all levels providing guidance and leadership in courtroom technique, ethics, file management, research, and writing. She was awarded with the Outstanding States Assistant States Attorney's Award from the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists in 2009, and Excellence and the war against drunk driving for mothers against drunk driving. So kudos to you, that's awesome, thank you. I would now like to introduce Mr. Sam Dijani. He's a detective with the Tinley Park Police Department. Sam is also an alum of Moraine Valley, earning his associates in applied science um, from Moraine Valley many years ago. I can make fun of Sam, he's my husband, just to wanna put a disclaimer out there. <laughs> So Bachelor's of Arts degree in Criminal Justice from University of Illinois, Chicago in 2001, and he went on to earn his Master's in Political and Justice Studies from Governor State University, has spent the last 15 years in law enforcement in Tinley Park. Um, after serving as a patrol officer for six years, he went on to become a detective, um, where he's been a detective for nine years now in Tinley. He's also served as a field training officer for new officers, and has previously served on the South Suburban Major Crimes Task Force, which is a primary task force that is activated in Southern Cook County communities per a police agency's request to assist in homicide investigations. He's currently on the Will Grundy County Major Crimes Task Force, and greatest accomplishment of all, marrying me and having three beautiful children. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now to our good friend, Mr. Badges Kareem. He's a sergeant at the Burbank Police Department who earned his Bachelor of Science degree in Law Enforcement and Justice Administration in 2003 from Western Illinois University, and he went on to earn his Master's degree from Governor State in Political and Justice Studies. He's been a police officer since 2004, and while he was assigned to uh, the patrol division for seven years, he had several um, specialty assignments, as you can um, see them, if I forward that. He has served as a field training officer a defensive tactics instructor. He has served on the Burbank Emergency Response Team, South Suburban Emergency Response Team as a hostage crisis negotiator. And also, as he went on to become an investigator, he served five years as a detective. Specialty assignments included um, being part of the FBI South Suburban Criminal Enterprise Task Force, South Suburban Major Crimes Task Force, and the South Suburban Major Case Unit. He was promoted to sergeant in 2016. Again, very accomplished. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your days, your busy schedules to be here with us today. We're gonna jump right in and start asking you some questions. So what I'd like to do is start with a few moderated questions, uh, general questions to our panelists, and then we're gonna open it up for our audience to ask questions, okay? So the first thing I'd like to ask on behalf of the Arab Student Union, this is the list of questions we came up with, is can you tell us a little bit about your job your role within the court um, or the department that you work in, and what are your main responsibilities? So tell us a little bit about what you do every day. Anyone can start. Oh, sure. <laughs> can everybody hear me? 
Let's speak into the mic mm. a little okay. bit more. Okay, good. Okay, can those in the back hear me? Okay, great. Um, I am an assistant state's attorney in the felony trial division. Um, my role within the state's attorney's office is specifically related to felony cases, and those are cases in which an individual could be sentenced for more than a year, um, and it, it going on to life or more. Um, now, uh, our, assi our my work consists of taking in cases, uh, looking at what the case charges could be. They can go from theft cases, felony theft cases, going on to murder cases. Um, and our role in as assistant state's attorneys is to uh, not only receive the cases that were charged by the officers, but uh, uh, my role specifically as a third chair uh, felony assistant, um, I open up files, I look through the case, and we manage in, in one, getting all the discoveries, such as all the reports that are generated by the police, um, some of my assignments also include speaking with the police officers, the detectives, the defense attorneys. I'm in court every day. Uh, court starts at 9.30 in the morning and can go on as long as the cases are pending for each day. Um, after that, my assignment consists of going to my office and working up cases. And that can then entails contacting our victims, um, contacting police officers, and then uh, can go on as well as um, I have to make sure that we have everything that's necessary because the burden is on the state to prove each case that is brought and charged beyond a reasonable doubt. So that consists of not only getting the discovery ready, but anticipating we can meet all of our elements to prove whether to prove the case of the against the person that they were guilty. Um, in addition to that, as a as an assistant state's attorney, I've also been involved with the felony trial division in, as a, in the felony review. And that also consisted of going out to police departments whenever a person had been arrested. And that was prior to being charged, and we talked to victims out there. In addition, talked to the person who was uh, the suspected offender uh, and speak to that person. Um, and so we would anticipate at that point taking statements, those who are interested in speaking with us, and then speaking with the detectives and officers on scene. Um, interestingly enough, we'd also go out to the scene and, and see where the actual crime occurred. Um, and, and first and foremost, we would make sure that we had the right person in custody, and then we did everything we could to work with the officers and detectives uh, to make sure that uh, the right person's in custody whom is going to be charged. I'll just follow up. I, I work in a felony trial courtroom, so Nikita is assigned to my courtroom as a, a prosecutor in the courtroom, as well as uh, Kathy Lanahan, who's also assigned as a prosecutor. In our courtroom, which is a felony trial courtroom, there's approximately, can everyone hear me or do I need to speak up? Um, there's approximately 300 cases on our court call. So. It's, there's a great deal of cases. They stem anywhere from property crimes all, to, all the way up to violent crimes, including murder. So um, as Nahida stated, those are crimes that are punishable in the penitentiary with more than a year in the penitentiary. Uh, the individuals on the court call can also receive probation if they are eligible. Um, so it, every day is a, a, a day filled with uh, probably at minimum of 25 cases 
And those cases will involve uh, people who are appearing before me for the first time for what we call arraignment, where they're informed of the charges against them. Um, they start the initial stages by tendering discovery. The state has to tender discovery to um, the defense side. And the defense side is either represented by a public defender, as, as Jerry is, or a private defense attorney. And then the, the, the case will progress in one of three ways usually. We'll either go to a, a disposition where there'll be a, a plea and that they'll either have a, an agreement and the person will agree they did the crime and then they'll be sentenced, or that the, the individual who's charged is pleading not guilty. And then they may file various motions in front of the court, which include motions to quash arrests, motions to suppress statements, where they say there's a legal basis why evidence should be thrown out or should not be considered. And once you get past that, what we call pre-trial stage, then the matter goes to a trial stage. And we hear either jury trials or bench trials. And it's up to the defendant to choose whether or not he wishes to have a jury trial or whether or not he wishes to have a bench trial. And a jury trial is made up of 12 citizens selected from the community. Um, the qualifications to serve as a juror is just that you are a natural citizen and that you're 18 years of age or older. So um, those individuals would sit, listen to the evidence, and have to reach a determination as to whether or not the state's attorney has met their burden by proving the defendant guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, if they choose to give up their right to a jury trial, then I hear the bench trial, and I make the decision as to whether or not the state meets their burden. Um, so that kind of gives you an overview of how the courtroom runs. If the person is convicted, then we proceed to sentencing hearings. And sentencing hearings then are mandated by the law that's in place as to what the person uh, may be sentenced to. And there's different classes of felonies. As you get to the more serious felony, which is class X, and then of course murder, uh, often the sentencing range is a mandatory sentence in the penitentiary uh, and probation is not uh, allowed under the law. So we do have parameters that we have to follow in the courtroom and it's mandated by the law that's in place in the state. Um, so that kind of gives you an overview of what we do, Jerry, as far as the defense side. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. Um, I'm not oblivious to the fact that the vast majority of people I've met in my career who learns in my interaction with them that I'm a public defender, they're always asking me, how could you do that job? Or why do you do that job? So um, I'm gonna break one of my first rules as a defense lawyer when I, when I speak to people, especially in a jury, I like to argue with passion because that's the best way to do it from the defense side. But I'm gonna read to you a poem because I'm gonna have one minute here to tell you why I did, why I do our job. This poem is from uh, a gentleman by the name of Jim Doherty, who was a public defender back in 1957, and it's a defender's credo. And I think this best explains why I do my job. And if you can just indulge me for a minute, I'm gonna read you this poem. I am a public defender. I am the guardian of the presumption of innocence, due process, and fair trial. To me is entrusted the preservation of those sacred principles. I will promulgate them with courtesy and respect, but not with obsequiousness and not with fear. For I am partisan, I am counsel for the defense. Let none who oppose me forget that with every, every fiber of my being, I will fight for my clients. My clients are the indigent accused. 
They are the lonely, the friendless. There is no one to speak for them but me. My voice will be raised in their defense. I will resolve all doubt in their favor. This will be my credo, this and the golden rule. I will seek acclaim and approval only from my own conscience. And if upon my death there are a few lonely people who have benefited, my efforts will not have been in vain. That is why I'm a public defender. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Who would like to go next? You want to explain a little bit about your job, um, Catherine? I think we've pretty much covered, covered it. Judge Highland <laughs> has gone over um, what we do in a courtroom every day as an assistant state's attorney. We need to talk a little about how she opens files, does, does discovery as you get more experience. And, and we also try a lot of cases and do a lot of motions as, <clears throat> as you get more experience. As an assistant state's attorney, um, you do more serious crime. You start out doing drug case, theft cases. You move up the chain to armed robberies and, of course, um, first-degree murder. Um, that's the real ex more exciting part of our job is the trial work, the jury trials. Um, we do it uh, for when you have a, a victim who's been murdered and you meet their family and their friends or you have a case uh, where somebody has been killed or seriously injured by a DUI driver. Um, that's what makes me get up every morning and do the job we do. Um, that's, uh, th that's the exciting and great part of the job and uh, what keeps us all doing this. Thank you. Um, my job is a detective. Basically, our, um, our primary role is to follow up on incidents. Uh, the way it usually works with most police departments um, is your patrol officer, being your uniformed officer, will usually initially take uh, an initial case report. Um, if they're able to follow up on it and um, you know, make an arrest or uh, go further in their case, they can. However, it, the chronic issue going on with most police departments happens to be an issue of manpower. So when an officer meets a complainant, they take a report. Um, based on the call volumes going on, they're just going to take the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and then the report's going to get forwarded to someone like me. When I get the, uh, the reports, then basically it's my job um, to look at the case report, see if we're able to develop enough evidence um, to develop this thing called probable cause. Probable cause means that I have enough to make an arrest. Generally, as a detective, um, our job is very little different than patrol. When we, get when we get assigned cases, our job is usually to try to look at a report and make sure that there's no holes in our uh, incident. I, I can honestly tell you in my career, I've got cases assigned to me where we pretty much know who your offender is. Um, the unfortunate issue is there are some um, things that are missing, and then it becomes my opinion, do I try to charge this case? or? do I what we call clear exception, where we basically know who the offender is, however, we don't believe that the case is strong enough to stand in a, in a trial. Um, so that's pretty much what our main responsibilities are. Generally, um, when you have crimes of violence, and I'm sure um, the prosecutors here will attest, 
we're usually going to be the ones uh, involved in it and the ones that the state's attorneys uh, contact. And that just seems to be more the protocol in Cook County. So, you know, your armed robberies, your, your homicides, things of that sort, it's usually basically the ball gets dropped in our court and we have to take it from point A to point C and present them with everything that we can to where they can charge the case. Because ultimately it's up to the prosecutor to charge or not charge the case. What we do is we provide them with the, your reports and all the evidence that they feel is um, sufficient enough to charge a case. So I'm a sergeant with our department. Um, basically, my role is to supervise our shift. Um, brought a copy of our general order as far as what my role is and my duties. It's like two and a half pages long. So I'm, I'm going to summarize. Basically, uh, my job is to ensure that our officers are utilized uh, effectively and efficiently during the shift and while they're uh, conducting their duties. Um, I ensure that uh, they're following our department's rules and uh, regulations, as well as our uh, general orders and uh, the immediate directives from uh, my uh, su uh, superiors. Um, so just basically in a nutshell, just making sure everyone's doing their job and doing it the right way. And if need be, I'll step in and uh, direct them the, uh, the best that, that I know how. Great, thank you. Now, all of the panelists here have jobs that are somewhat related to each other. Um, there's days that your work for the day depends on each other, right? So if somebody can volunteer to kind of break down how um, let's say a prosecutor's job is to work with a detective to work to get maybe something from a sergeant and to work with a public defender and a judge at the same time. Um, so how are your jobs all related or dependent upon each other in one way or another? Can somebody take that? If I can. Um, well, first is Detective Dijani talked about the, the detectives. We work with detectives every day as far as um, getting crimes charged uh, when you work for felony review um, that part of the state's attorney's office detectives call you all day long um, they call you on theft cases they call you on armed robbery cases they call you on murders it's the state's attorney's job then what they call a phone case those are theft cases stolen car cases garage burglaries um, the detective gives you the information over the phone you go through it has the person been ID'd? Has anything been recovered? Has the defendant made a statement? You ask those questions. Based on those answers, um, you approve or reject the charges. When you get to more serious crimes like armed robbery, home invasion, and murder, the state's attorney will go out to the police department throughout, we go throughout the whole county and meet with the detectives. The detectives will tell the state's attorney what they have going on, who they have in custody, are there any witnesses to this crime, um, do we have any kind of forensic evidence or the possibility of any kind of forensic evidence. State's attorney then looks at those, all that evidence and decides whether to approve or reject those charges. Once the case gets charged and the case gets into, and we'll talk about felonies now, into a felony trial courtroom, um, we again work with the detectives because now they've brought us our reports, but lots of times they do supplemental reports, they send evidence texts to crime scenes, they take videotaped statements of offenders, witnesses. Um, so at the beginning of our day, often we're ordering reports from detectives, they're coming in, dropping things off, there are witnesses on crimes. Um, 
We go down to, they, they um, oftentimes do some of the uh, buckle swabs of defendants, say you think you have DNA at a crime scene. Detectives take care of those kind of things. So we meet detectives constantly, talk to them about cases constantly, um, and then we go to court. And in the courtroom, you know, the state's attorney, of course, is on one side. The public defender has a number of the cases on the call every day. We talk to those public defenders every day. Um, they ask us, sometimes they ask us for offers. Their client would like to plead guilty. What would you offer them? We, there's negotiations that go on. Um, there's a meeting that goes on. Uh, are we, because our obligation is to tender all the discovery we have to uh, the defense attorneys, which the public defender has a bunch of those cases on the call every day. Um, so throughout the day we're interacting, we're interacting with doing trials, plea negotiations, the pleas, um, and then of course um, the judge is the ringleader of the whole, uh, the whole circus for the day. <laughs> she does the arraignments, uh, telling you what you're charged with. Uh, the defense, the state and the defense present pleas to her. The judge decides whether she will accept those pleas based on the nature of the case, the background of the defendant, if she'll go along with that. The judge can say, no, I'm not going along with that plea. I don't believe that is uh, an acceptable disposition of this case. And then, of course, that moves on to you do those in the morning, and then uh, you may do motions. Somebody says, uh, that detective violated my rights. He didn't give me my Miranda warnings. So it's our obligation then to put on that motion and for the judge to decide um, if Detective Dejani is telling the truth or if the defendant um, is, uh, if his story is to be, be believed, even though he signed the warnings and he's on tape with the detective giving him his Miranda warnings. Um, and then we'll move on to trials for the day. And that can include, again, bench trials. And again, it can include any felony case out there. So that's kind of basically how everyone interacts for the day. Then there may be sentencings. You may do a sentencing hearing. You may be bringing a detective back. Um, you may be sentencing a defendant who has a prior record and you're bringing a detective back on one of those other cases to testify. Uh, so we all interact uh, all day throughout the day and uh, they're all, all our jobs are very intertwined. Very good. Thank you for breaking that down because mm -hmm. I know it can be, even for me, and I live with a law enforcement officer, somewhat confusing as to how everybody's jobs are somewhat related, although I hear Sam saying I gotta go to court or I gotta call the state's attorney and waiting for this call back and so on, but thank you for breaking that, that down for us. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you pursued this career, if this was what you planned to do, and any advice you may give to students who might be interested in pursuing such a career path. So kind of a three-prong, why did you cho choose to become a prosecutor or go into law enforcement, or did you plan to be a judge? Is this something that you knew 20 years ago you wanted to do? How did you come about deciding this is your career path? Um, is it what you plan to do, and what advice would you give to others who would like to pursue such a career? Um, I can, I'll first address that. 
Well, I'm first generation here. My parents uh, came here. They were refugees of the 67 war in Palestine. Uh, when I told my parents I was, I, I knew I wanted to get into law when I was a little girl. I was watching court TV. And I said, I love that guy. My mom was like, no, you don't love that guy. I'm like, I love that guy. And it was the judge. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a, and I still love the judge. Um, I love the whole idea of court. I love the idea of representing someone, being passionate about something, um, having an opinion and having people want to listen, and uh, representing someone. And I love the idea, especially growing up um, in a Middle Eastern home, being able to be vocal, you know. Um, and, and that comes with those who understand that kind of dynamic um, people wanting to listen to your passion and your uh, and what you have to say, um, and it became more so when uh, I started law school and then clerked actually. Um, and my first my first uh, taste at prosecution was with the attorney general's office, and I was able to obtain a 711 license, which is a license when you're a student. And so if you intend on going to law school, you'll be able to practice in the courtroom if you obtain your 7-Eleven license, just so you know. Um, and that's where I got my first taste. And I what was is able the 7-Eleven license? Because everybody's wondering if they could go to 7-Eleven and pick up one of those <laughs> things. And tell us what that so is. So <laughs> the Supreme Court rule 7-Eleven allows law students uh, to, while they're in law school, um, under the supervising um, direction of an actual attorney, a licensed attorney, to practice. So as a student, I was in a courtroom and I was litigating and it was amazing. And growing up, uh, I thought I was going to be a defense attorney because my dad always said, oh, we need someone to protect our, you know, protect their people. And I thought that meant defense attorney. And then I explained to him one day how I'm going to protect him by being a prosecutor. And he was so happy. Uh, he's like, you enlightened me. And I think I enlightened myself learning that. So that's where my passion comes from, my background. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. Oh, sure. Whoever I'll would like to I'll go, go first. I'll go. Um, you know, it's funny when you ask this question. It's a conversation I've been having a lot lately because my daughter is a freshman in college. So she went to college undecided and uh, is really struggling with what she would like to do and what path she would like to take as a career. So we, we've been having these conversations lately about what, what, what is your passion? What, what makes you happy? What, what do you think you feel fulfilled with? And so she turned to me and said, well, what, what made you choose the path that you took? And I, I started out in, in college with a business major. And, and I turned to her and I said, it's funny what can drive you. And I said, in my case, what drove me was unfortunately uh, a difficult uh, period of time in my life. When, when I was a sophomore in college, uh, my father passed away. And, and so I was young, I was 19. And uh, I turned to my mom and, and told her I wanted to quit college. You know, I, I thought I, I should stay home with you. I should help out and stay home. And um, my mom was a very strong woman and she was uh, very uh, determined to make sure I had a better life and uh, to, to make sure I had an education. And so she refused to let that happen. And she said to me, you can let things that are bad in your life uh, either drive you and make you do um, things that are going to uh, be better for yourself, or you can let it bring you down. And she, she said, you know, you have to make that choice. 
to let this thing in your life, your father's death, let him know that it's it's something that you're going to take and turn into something better. So I did. I, I, I went and I, I got my uh, you know, college degree and I was in business. Um, and I, I sat there and said, boy, I really, really am not sure business is for me. I, I just don't feel that passion for that. Um, and like Nahida, I had always found it is interesting. Whenever I, I, I saw uh, something on TV that was for me, you guys are too old, but maybe they have reruns for Perry Mason. But he was like the guy on TV that, uh, you know, was winning the cases and had the aha moment. And so I said, I'm going to try law school. And uh, I did, and I clerked in the state's attorney's office as a, as a prosecutor. And um, I remember just clerking to get experience and watching a case uh, where uh, a woman, she was just an elderly woman and somebody had had stolen her bike and it was her only mode of transportation. And uh, she went up to the prosecutor afterwards and said, I don't know why, what I would do without somebody like you helping me and, 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 and getting me help and, and making sure the person who, who <coughs> uh, hurt me was held responsible and, and um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And I sat there and thought like, wow, this, you, you're doing something good on a daily basis. You're helping others. It, it's, it's public service. Going into public service, the police officer, the state's attorney, uh, the uh, public defender, they're going to tell you they're not going in, into that type of work because they want to make money. They're going into this type of work because it, it feeds their soul. It feeds their passion. It makes them feel, as, as Jerry said in his credo, makes them feel like he's doing something for somebody on a daily basis. Um, the state's attorneys are doing the same thing. So whatever ever you do, whatever path you choose, always remember, make it be something that you like getting up in the morning and going to work to. I can tell you that every single day um, I enjoy the work that I, that I do. I haven't had a day where I want to stay home. Well, there might be one or two. <laughs> uh, but, but truly, truly, make it be something that, that you really can find a passion in. Um, the typical path after you're a, a, a prosecutor or a defense attorney. That next step is uh, to be a judge. And, uh, and that was kind of the career path I took. And, uh, and I can tell you, it's an awesome responsibility um, to have. And it's a, it's a responsibility that no one in this position takes lightly. It's an honor, and it's also something that you have to make sure that you give a lot of time and consideration to. And I feel very fortunate to be in this position. But I will tell you that every day, um, I make sure that I, I, I don't take it for granted uh, because it, it is an important job and it is an important position. As each one of these individuals, every day, uh, have important roles. You know, the, the officers, the state's attorneys, the public defenders. Their jobs, they're dealing with very important issues. and. Uh, and I think it's something that, that makes you grow on a daily basis as a person. I learn something on a daily basis from the people I meet, from the people I see. So, Jerry? Okay. So you all know I was a biology major when I graduated. My mother was a medical doctor when she immigrated to this country. So I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, after I graduated from the University of Illinois, I worked for Abbott Labs. North Chicago was about an hour drive to work. 
And every day I would plate bacteria to see which uh, types of drugs would kill it because we were Abbott's a big uh, drug manufacturer. So we're trying to make better antibiotics. And every day I would walk into a quiet, boring room dealing with bacteria, and I'm like, this can't be for me. This is not, <laughs> this isn't for me. <laughs> I love theater. I wasn't, you know, I, I wanted to be an actor, not handsome enough. Um, I was an athlete when I was growing up, so I, I, I liked competition, and I certainly liked to learn and was, um, you know, like to think about things, and I, I thought to myself, I, I really need to go to law school and be a trial lawyer. I want to be in a courtroom where you can have that theatrical aspect, the intellectual aspect, and I want to win. So I think those three uh, components drove me to be a trial lawyer, and I, I wanted to be a state's attorney, and I met my wife who was a public defender. She became a public defender because she watched Hill Street Blues. <laughs> yeah, an, a, an old show, and, and uh, she loved the public defender there. I ended up loving my wife. <laughs> I became a public defender. So the, 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 the point is, um, out of all this is to you know tr trust who you are. I, I wasn't going to be a doctor, and, and I'm really happy I became a trial lawyer. It's very exciting, very rewarding work. It's very difficult as well, but th that's how I became a public defender. Thank you. Thank you. you want to go down to the end, and then we'll make our way back. Sure. All right. Um, so why did I choose to to go into this profession? I I've kind of always wanted to. Uh, I've always wanted to do this. Um, I've always liked to uh, to help and protect people who couldn't help and protect themselves. Uh, but in my uh, in my family, um, I didn't have any you know uh, prior relatives or immediate family that went into this profession. So when I started college, um, actually my first two years I came here, I started off majoring in pharmacy. So I got a job at a, a local pharmacy, you know, and I worked there for about a year, um, and I just sat there and counted pills all day, you know, and uh, I knew that I needed something faster paced. Uh, more exciting so you know I decided you know I'm just I'm gonna do what I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go into what I wanted to do and uh, and it's the uh, best decision I've ever made uh, I can honestly say uh, sometimes I'm at work and, and I say to myself and the other guys will just in unison like we can't I can't believe I'm getting paid for this right now um, is it what I expected yes and no um, no one ever really knows what they're getting into on, until they're in it you know so Maybe if you've got like prior family that, that's been in the profession that could kind of, you know, give you advice and stuff before you go in, you might have a, a better understanding and a better knowledge of what you're walking into. But uh, until you actually get into it, you know, you, you're not really going to know what, uh, what it is that you're getting into. Um, advice to you guys that are looking to get into it, uh, law enforcement at least. Uh, do your research. Uh, understand the different law enforcement careers you could choose from. Um, there, you know, you could you could get on with the federal, state, county, or local level. Uh, it's it's really imperative that you work in an environment that that best suits you. And the only way that you could do that is if you prepare. So you got you got to do your research, uh, figure out what it is that each agency you know um, does, and uh, try to get to know people that are in the field, so you could ask them questions before you get on. Um, if you want to get on on the local level. Stop by your local police department if you don't know anybody. We're, we're always receptive to talking to, uh, to people who want to go into the profession. If you've got a family member in it, you know what, talk to your family, and they'll be able to point you in the right direction. Um, there's different organizations that will be more than happy to, uh, to assist you guys. I, I've got, I get calls all the time at uh, Burbank. You know, I call up, leave me voicemails. Uh, please call me back. Could you give me some advice on this career? And, and I'll try uh, 
to point you in the best direction that I can. I know Sam the same way. You know, um, he'd be more than happy, I'm sure, to, to give you guys advice and whatnot. But uh, we're always looking for good people, and uh, we're always, uh, you know, open to giving you guys advice uh, as to, you know, what uh, what it is that would uh, best suit you. Um, that, that's all I got. Thank you. I'll be honest, when I, uh, when I started college, I had no idea what I wanted to do in the future, and that's okay. I'm sure there's some people here that probably still haven't decided on what career path they want to take. Um, just take your time, do your research. Um, I remember uh, just trying to sign up for full-time hours, and I had a an opening, and I didn't know what to fill it with. And um, coincidentally, um, ASA, <laughs> uh, Zayed's older brother, uh, came, uh, attended this institution, and uh, he was taking a course and said, you should just take this class. I said, well, I need to fill the uh, three hours to give me full-time hours, so I took it. Um, the only thing I can say is, obviously, I got an A, so I said, hey, maybe, you know, <laughs> this might be a decent career path for me. It was a criminal justice class, right? Yeah, criminal justice <laughs> 101. Uh, I don't think any, I don't know if anybody still works here. They remember Mr. Burian, um, but he was the, the head of the department, and it was a phenomenal class. Um, I did look, I did, I was contemplating doing the law school route, um, but I'll be honest, I give credit to everybody to my right here because the one time I looked, uh, just looked at a practice LSAT, I figured it was just learning state statutes and things of that sort, laws, but it requires a lot of logical reasoning and things of that sort, and I just said, at this point, it's not my cup of tea, could be in the future. Um, the advice I give everybody is the job is a lot of commitment. Um, when you really think about it, um, since we, you know, the average person sleeps at night, uh, you're working probably half of your life on the job. You know, you half of your life on the job, half of your life to your family. I'm sure my wife can attest, um, especially as a detective, when I come home, I don't talk nothing about the job. I just want it out of sight, out of mind during my hours with the family because if you carry it over, then it just, then you just, then it just starts becoming some sort of a sickness, in my opinion. So, uh, it requires a lot of commitment, especially if you work in investigations and you have this thing being on call. So basically, like in my line of work, I'm on call one week out of the month. So with that said, um, you know, if me and my wife decided we want to go downtown to have a steak dinner or something, not going to happen because I have to respond to an incident within 20 minutes. So basically, I'm glued to my phone for a week. Those are just the examples I'm giving you guys of commitment. Um, the other advice I give people is, uh, like, you know, my uh, colleague here, Bad, just said, is obviously do the research. Um, the one opinion I would give, and I wish I would have listened to a college advisor at UIC, um, you don't, even though criminal justice is a great major, it's what I majored in, um, but if I'm going to give some advice to people here, especially if you're looking to pursue the federal route down the road, um, you can major in something else and still become a police officer. Uh, there's two reasons why I say this. One, it's good to expand your horizons. Secondly, there is a propensity to possibly get injured on the job or be disabled. Uh, it's, it's, there's obviously dangers involved in our line of work. Um, you know, my coworker and myself have been hurt on the job before, and uh, thankfully it wasn't career-ending, but I do know uh, multiple people that have ended their careers. So you have to ask yourself, you know, now you have to choose a different career path down the road. What this, I mean, criminal justice does offer certain avenues, but for example, if you were to get a four-year degree in business, do you have more avenues you could pursue? Um, you know, most police departments just require the college credits, whether it's 60 hours or a bachelor's degree. They don't care if you get it in criminal justice. They don't care if you get it in accounting. They just want the college credit hours. So my main advice, and I wish I would have listened to this, not just that, also for retirement purposes, um, in case I want to pursue a different route. 
if you're looking, uh, you know, if you're undecided about a major, just realize that it's not, criminal justice isn't a requirement for most police departments. Um, in my opinion, if, I, if my children ever wanted to pursue this path, I uh, definitely tell them, you know, think about pursuing a different major too, or you could minor in one, just something to expand your horizons. Thank you. Um, Kathleen, did you want to add anything about why you chose this uh, career path? Yeah, pretty much the same. I had a trial ed class I, I loved in law school. I didn't go to law school immediately. Um, after undergrad, I did do a, a public administration master's degree, although I did not write my thesis. Uh, but the pull of law school was too great. I stopped and I started law school. Um, being a state's attorney, attorney, it's challenging, it's exciting, and what I would say is you're gonna be doing this stuff a long time. So pick something that you love and are passionate about and you're happy to go to every day. Thank you. Um, so I, I'm gonna open it up for questions. I have some other um, questions, but I'm gonna open it up to the audience because we're, um, I know some of the classes have to leave soon and we have a class that ends up um, 145. So um, before those students have to leave, I want to open it up. I know the College 101 students may have to leave, which is fine. Some of our panelists will be able to hang out afterwards for a little bit. So if you have other questions, you can come afterwards and also speak. But does anybody want to ask a question from the audience before we continue? Any questions? Yes, Mr. Delwyn Jones, one of our longtime professors here at Marine Valley. Answer is overwhelmingly yes, because uh, we're exposed to so. Speak much. into the mic, Unaida. I I just think just inherently in the job um, as a as an attorney, we're exposed to so many different types of cases, different types of things that have occurred, um, in different types of crimes. So as Sam has mentioned, try not to take that home. Um, but it does play a part in your perception in everyday occurrences. Uh, I tell that to my husband, especially now that I have two uh, twin babies, I at home. It's my perception if I just go to the, to the park and the things that I see out there or if I go to the mall and the different uh, interactions I see with people because of the, the work that we do and we s the, the crimes especially that we are always exposed to, it does. And you try not to personalize on your cases and sometimes, especially, um, I can speak for attorneys, um, we get passionate about our cases and it's hard not to personalize and have it negatively affect um, our personal lives and we try not to do that uh, because you wanna live a healthy life. But it is important to uh, be passionate about the work we do and it involves a lot of uh, as was spoken before, commitment um, professionally and, and it entails sometimes it um, overflows into our personal life. So it does, there is a, there is an effect to our personal lives, but uh, negatively, um, I would say only in the sense if you, we try not to personalize, but it, there is an effect. Yeah, I just want to ask Mr. Jones, uh, what kind of toilet paper to use? <laughs> you must have had him as a professor. There you go. <laughs> if you can get up there and uh, do an impromptu about what kind of toilet paper you use, this, these panels are a walk in the park, man. <laughs> this is an inside joke, folks, just so that you guys know. 
Mr. Jones has been around for a long time, Professor Jones. <laughs> Go ahead, well, Jerry. I think your question was how does our interaction with other people affect uh, how we do our jobs? It's really important. When you argue before a jury, it's arguing before people like all of you. And you have to understand the decency in people to do a jury trial. I'm a public defender. I'm not pro-crime. Um, so in my interaction with the assistant state's attorney and trying to craft out a good deal uh, for my client, you have to understand the damage sometimes my client has inflicted and also um, the decency that he has. He doesn't want to be labeled by the one, the worst thing that he's ever done in his life. There's some redemptive value in, in his life, obviously. So your experience with, with, with people has a big component in, in what I do every day talking to my cases with the assistant state's attorney or even uh, pleading my case to a judge in a conference to try to resolve a case and most certainly in arguing uh, sometimes horrific facts in front of a jury there's something that if you're a, a decent good person even under all I mean defense lawyers are decent good good people so that, you know and what makes them stronger as a defense lawyer is to is to find that commonality with people because they you know that that's um, important, and, and then people will appreciate what you do or believe what you say. So, thank you. Thank you. Any other questions from the audience? Yes, John. Speak up a little bit, John. Well, that, that's yeah, that's a really good question, um, and I do run run into um, a couple public defenders that say they can't do animal cruelty cases, and then I think I look at them and be like, "But you could defend a murderer." Um, so, to me, the biggest sign of burnout, and it happens to very good people on my side, is you put who you are representing ahead of your job is defending the Constitution that Thomas Jefferson wrote, the Fourth Amendment, right to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. We protect that. The Fifth Amendment, right to not incriminate yourself. We, we protect that. The Sixth Amendment, right to counsel. We protect that. Those are rights in the Bill of Rights that the founders of our country wrote. So when, when and believe me, this job wears on you. Know what the police officers do. I empathize with them absolutely. It comes with experience, and they deal with the people that arrest. They become my clients, so now I'm dealing with them. Um, so, and I've seen great human beings be affected by the people they represent. Sometimes our clients put us through the ringer just to test us, because you know we're appointed. They didn't pay for us, and and they, and they test us to see how loyal we are to them. Um, but no, I guess a long, very long answer to your question. It's, it's, I, you can't put your morals to your job. You have a job to do to defend the Constitution. I'll liken it to this. Does an does a, uh, emergency room nurse 
who has to take care and, and save the life of a gangbanger who was shot, does she say to him, to herself, I'm going to let him die. He's a gangbanger. He got shot. No, that nurse, that doctor, emergency room doctor is going to try to save the life. That's her job of that individual who a society may cast out, may not like. So uh, we have to guard against that kind of uh, burnout because our job is to defend the Constitution. Thank you. Thank you. We have a question right up front here. Yes. I'm going to give you the mic so that everybody on this side of the room can hear you. Here you go. <laughs> My name is Ted Durden. Um, I'm in law enforcement as well. I have a comprehensive question. I was trying to frame it to get the best. In your capacity as a judge, do you ever, in evolution of crime, to cyber involved? Facebook, uh, any type of any type of thing where it's filming the crime. Do you do you feel or do you think that um, yeah, it's not the five thing? Are, are you required or inspired to attend committees at the government or any type of panel to review crime trends, to adapt current laws or identify social trends, and make suggestions to improve maybe education system or <laughs> ebb the cyber impact or a new a new form of crime that involves Facebook. It, I, I think that is a, a, a very evolving area of law. I think um, we as a society um, are obviously becoming uh, very um, conscious of social media, of the way we communicate is changing, um, and as a result, the way crimes are committed is also changing. Um, we are seeing it more than we have ever seen it, but I would say that the percentage that we see right now um, is probably 10% of the 100% of cases that we see. So while, while it's, it's uh, beginning to be seen in criminal courtrooms throughout the county, it's still at the lower end, um, yet I do know of a few cases, um, not necessarily that I have seen, but colleagues have seen. And as a result, we are uh, dedicating resources to that. Um, our, uh, we, we as judges attend continuing legal education. Um, and that happens every two years. And it just so happens that it's going to be coming up this year. So I just signed up for the courses that I'm going to attend to um, as part of the continuing legal education. And one of those courses is going to be on how to handle cases involving um, internet use, Facebook crimes, um, uh, the state's attorney or defense attorney asking to present that in as a form of evidence. And you know, um, all evidence that is received in a courtroom has some uh, what we call foundational requirements. You just can't get up there and say, um, my cousin told me that his cousin told him that Johnny did the crime. And the police and state's attorneys and defense attorneys all know that that wouldn't be permitted in a courtroom. But in the same respect, uh, the question is, can somebody try to introduce a Facebook of, of, of Jerry or Nahida to, to bring in their Facebook to say they wrote on their Facebook um, that so-and-so uh, shot so-and-so or they, they they uh, silenced uh, Johnny the other day. He won't be a problem. 
can they introduce that as evidence in a criminal courtroom? So there is much debate right now going on as to how to admit it, whether it should be allowed to be admitted, and what foundation? Because then there's a question, could somebody tamper with your Facebook? Could somebody get into your Facebook and post something on your Facebook page without you knowing about it? So it's, it's, very, it's, it, it's going through a huge evolution right now. And the courts, uh, not uh, the appellate court and the Supreme Court, are taking a look at these cases to determine whether or not these types of ev evidence should be allowed. Um, because in many cases, they could be crucial pieces of evidence for the, for the police in their investigation. Um, and they also can lead um, the police in a direction of, of finding the offender. And I guess the other question from, a, from an individual's perspective is, how much privacy do I have in my social media? How much privacy? It's out there for the world to say. I, I'm sure um, my husband has always told my daughter, uh, you know, whatever you whatever tap you make on your, on your cell phone or whatever tap you make on your internet device is there forever. Don't think because you hit delete, it's gone. And in, and, and in some ways he's right. I mean, in some ways it can be retrieved and it, it's not just because that delete button is hit, it doesn't mean it's gone forever. So I would say in response to your question, while I, I can't answer it definitively, I will tell you that it is on um, everyone's agenda right now as to how we address cases that involve social media, whether it be Facebook or internet or text messages. And um, we're uh, requiring new laws to be written about it and we're addressing it in continuing legal education. So it will be the wave of the future, I believe. So I, I, I think you, you hit a, on a very good point. So. That's the best I can answer. I don't know if any of you have any updated information, you know, regarding this. Um, it is a, it is, uh, and there isn't a lot uh, being, I, I, I just want to say, I did go, we, even as the state's attorneys, we're learning every day and how we're going to be able to present those cases. And, and much of uh, what the judge has just mentioned to you, the foundational requirements, it all goes down to reliability and what's posted online and proving that. Um, so as state's attorneys, we're going through education, our training, and how to be able to present that in the courtroom. Um, because obviously through all the social media that's out there, um, it can be manipulated. So it's very difficult, but it doesn't mean that it can't be used. And it has been used and it is being used, but it's not, um, there's so many new apps coming out and so many new ways people are phishing other people. Um, online so it's so easy to um, you know uh, to create things and under the under the device of saying it belongs to somebody else and that's what Griff said um, so it is it is a growing trend and it's even in the legal aspect in the legal aspect um, it's a lot different type of review than it does um, when we're just online on our own social media pages I think that we could take one more question from the audience and then I'm going to ask everyone just for quick clothing, closing thoughts and then we have one of our ASU members who's going to come up. We have, okay, two quick, quick questions and then quick, quick responses. <laughs> In the back. Did you guys hear that? Can you explain um, your how to hone your communication skills in your line of work and explain how important communication is. A couple of you guys want to take that question. 
Uh, we try cases every day in the courtroom, so communication is very, very important. Um, we, uh, when we, when I say we try cases, it means that we're putting on. There's motions that are being heard, and our audience could be the judge or a jury. So communication could be in litigation aspect and um, explaining the, in presenting the evidence that we're trying to present in court in a, in a manner in which the judge can understand it or um, our peers that are in the jury can understand it. In addition, um, when we're speaking to our victims on cases, that's another communication aspect that we deal with on a daily basis because there's some sensitive material that may go along with the cases. Um, and our communication skills are very important in every aspect, even dealing with the police um, and our um, colleagues as well, the public defenders and the private attorneys alike. So communication, I would say, is number one priority for us in every aspect of our profession. Uh, communication is probably uh, it's one of the most important things we do. Obviously, number one is going to be uh, uh, tactics uh, in terms of just keeping everybody uh, safe, keeping yourself safe. But uh, communication is, is what leads us to uh, de-escalate a lot of the, uh, the situations that we're involved in. You know, for example, you respond to a domestic violence incident or a uh, or any other type of disturbance. Uh, your number one goal is to de-escalate the situation and uh, uh, just re uh, just bring peace uh, to whatever the uh, the situation is. So communication is uh, is very very important in uh, in what we do in our line of work. Can I just add to that real quick? You know, we we get a lot of training. I mean, lawyers. I don't know if you guys know. We still have to go to school. We have continuing legal education um, requirements now that the Supreme Court had us do. So we, we learn, we go to school every year. I think it's 30 hours every two years, but we still try to do more. That's for every, every lawyer every, and the judges. So we learn a lot about communication with our clients. We get trained on that because you can't just walk into a room and say, you know, you know the case, you've, you've been a lawyer for many, many years, decades, and then all of a sudden you walk into a room and you're telling someone, you gotta plead guilty. These are the facts against you. I'm reading a police report. And immediately the lines of communication are broken because now they consider you hostile. So there's a way to communicate with people to get your point across, to, to be able to lead them in the right direction. Um, there's communication with the jury, as I've talked before, um, and there's uh, just w when you communicate with somebody, um, I, I, I've had communicate or uh, uh, negotiations with an assistant state's attorney, and she's some or her or him, and sometimes we talk about the strengths of our case, and they usually give me suggestions about you know what's weak with my case, and I give them suggestions about what's strong with my case, and. Uh, I always try to remind them it's very hard to get someone to understand why it's important to plead guilty. No one wants to plead guilty to something they did, especially if it's something they didn't do. So there's a lot of communication involved. You have to be prepared with your cases. You have to empathize with people uh, and see both sides. So that's all I wanted to say about that. Thanks, Jerry. And one last question up In front. your position, um, do you see a growth or decline in recidivism rate, repeat offenders? say within Illinois, with the, probably within the last five years? 
That one stumped them. Yeah. <laughs> any, well, any thoughts or opinions? Are you guys seeing the same, just to kind of, so the students kind of understand, are you seeing the same folks coming through the system? Do you feel like there's been a reduction or are crimes up? As, as you may know, arrests are down, so we're seeing less people through the system. However, as for people on probation, we see a lot of the same people come back in, unfortunately. I have no idea what the statistics are, though, and I, I don't know that anybody here right. knows what the numbers are. Okay. Um, just a couple more points. I would like everybody maybe in a sentence to say if there's one thing that um, you would like the audience to know as they leave today, just to, if they were to remember one thing about your job, and it could be a repeat of something you've already said, something about your job or something for the future, any little piece of advice in one sentence, can you leave our students each with um, a little bit of advice or just something that you want them to know about your job at the end of the day? I'll say one sentence about, and, and I'll keep it, uh, I won't go on. I'll, I'll say this, for those of you who sit there and say that you have an interest possibly in becoming an attorney, whenever I've been asked, is it something that you would recommend? I will tell you wholeheart wholeheartedly, yes. Law license and getting your law degree is something that no one can ever take away from you. It is something you're, you have accomplished and you will have it forever. You can hang your own shingle. You can do um, different types of law. There are thousands of types of law that you can go into. We here chose public service. That's just one area of law. But there are many different areas of law to go into. And uh, I, can, I can guarantee you, attorneys sometimes get a, a bad rap, but I guarantee you, it is something that you will have forever. And we do need good, talented people to go into the law profession. So I highly recommend that you consider it as a profession. I guess I want to say that this is the best system in the world. This is what makes America great, the foundation of due process, where you have uh, one side presenting a case to take away someone's freedom and another side zealously representing them. Um, so I always challenge people when they say, you know, what is it about your job uh, that's greater, that's important. Our, our system of justice is the best in the world. Uh, you know, I think France has the, the judge doing the interrogation and the prosecution. That, that, that doesn't make sense to me. What can make it better? I think if, if maybe both sides did the other side, like in the, uh, like in the military um, uh, lawyers, the ju judge advocate generals, I think they both have to start out at some point in the defense and the prosecution. Because then you see, uh, many of my colleagues in the public defender's office don't see and empathize with victims because they're so steadfast with their, with their representation of the, or defense of the Constitution. I, I worked in victim witness in the state's attorney's office. Some of my clients do horrific things to human beings. It's, it, it's so I think, and I was able to, I, I wasn't a state's attorney, so I didn't represent them on that side, but I, I worked hand in hand with them in, as a victim witness coordinator. I think that's maybe the only thing I would suggest uh, would make our system better. But there's no other system where, where if you're accused and you could lose your freedom, you have, you guys don't see it. And I know I'm running for judge, but r really, I mean, you, people work hard on both sides. You see it every day. We have friendships. I have 
many friends in the police and the state's attorney's office, but that doesn't deter me from doing my job, and they know I have a job to do. I know they have a job to do. So there's no better system in the world except maybe forcing uh, an attorney before they pick their spot to have some sort of internship on both sides. Thank you. Uh, I would leave you, I would say, um, with the last comments. Um, as a, I would tell you it, in public service, it being a state's attorney, we go through so many cases every day, it's something new. So if you're interested, um, I'll stay behind uh, so that uh, those, if you have any further questions or interest, um, any specific to the state's attorney's office, I, I'm more than happy to answer those. But just so you know, on a daily basis, we're dealing with new cases um, and nothing, it seems like nothing is really repetitive. There's always a change or a nuance, so it's exciting. Um, and so I would leave you with that, that if you're looking for a profession where, um, not to say that it's not intense and there's a lot of commitment to it, but it is exciting and there's so much to it that um, you leave at the end of the day with at least a story that you feel like you can share um, and that uh, is entertaining in, in a respectable level. But for sure, it's a, it's a great profession and especially public service, I would urge you if you have any questions, I'll be here to answer them for you. I would say don't be afraid to try things out. Uh, something you wouldn't normally, uh, uh, you may not be on the path, it may not be what you wanna do, but if you're interested, try it. Try a class, because you wanna find something uh, you love to, to do. And for me, it happens to be the law, and criminal law in particular, particular. and don't be afraid, go for it. Uh, so you can find what you love to do. The only thing I'd say is do what you love and the money will follow. Um, <laughs> seriously, because if, uh, the only thing I can tell you is, and I've been doing this for, uh, I'm not halfway through my career, but the one thing I'll tell you is, at least in my line of work in uh, badges, you don't know everything. You have a very good grasp on the on the statutes, you have a very good grasp on other things, but Every day, you're probably going to wind up learning something new in our line of work. And, you know, a lot of other jobs have a constant. You know what the protocol is. You know what you have to do. But every day, there's something different that happens in our line of work. And usually, if, uh, if you're not learning something, then obviously you're not progressing in our line of work. In my opinion, this is, uh, this is one of the greatest professions that you could go into. And I'm kind of biased, but it, it's truly how I feel. Uh, the best advice I could give you if you do end up in this profession is to uh, treat people the way you want to be treated and uh, treat people the way that you'd want your families treated if they were ever encountered by the police. It'll make your job a lot easier. So if there's anything that'll stick with you guys as you go forward in your careers, uh, that's, that's probably the best advice I could give you. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. <laughs> I want to invite Hannah Asfar up. She's our student trustee here on campus. So Hannah's uh, been elected to this position to represent the whole student body, but she's also the vice president of the Arab Student Union. She has a couple of closing remarks and reminders. But on behalf of uh, Moraine Valley Community College, our executive leadership team, the faculty staff here, and our staff in the library, as well, of all, uh, as well as all of our students, I would like to sincerely say thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your days. Thank you for making the time to be here and speak to our students. Um, as Troy mentioned in the beginning, this is recorded, so 
the great thing about that is that all the students I couldn't make it today, and there were many, can go on and now watch it off the library website, and many of our community members can tap in and learn more about your jobs. And I know how hard you all work, um, and I witnesses, witness my husband every day come home tired after a long day, and maybe it's been with some after some interactions at court <laughs> or some hard cases, um, but I know you all have very important roles and jobs in our community, and so I just want to thank you for um, giving back, because every day you all give back to our community, so thank you. Thank you to our classes. Don't leave just yet. Hannah's going to come up um, and make some closing remarks. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you again for coming over here. My name is Hannah Aspar, as Nina just mentioned. And so I want to give the uh, speakers just another round of applause. They did an awesome job right now. So on behalf of Marine Valley, as uh, Nina just mentioned, and the ASU, I'd like to thank you guys all for coming and really taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and talk to us. We really did learn a lot more about careers, careers in law personally, and I'm sure a lot of other people did as well. Um, so the, I think the personal stories that you guys added in really helped illustrate you guys' careers a little better. So before we end the event, I just want to say a couple reminders. Uh, November is Arab Heritage Month, and the ASU will be hosting a couple events. So one of them is a bake sale, and the other one is a Depco workshop. So if you guys wanted to come and support us to that, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, also today at 2 p.m. in B260 is our weekly meeting. So if anyone's interested in coming to that, everyone is welcome. Uh, finally, there is a suggestion box in the U building for...